umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and welcome to the reboot of michigan football season there was a time that we thought the big 10 wasn't going to play and uh, apparently, we are going to move forward with this. It's great to have football to look forward to, even if it is an abbreviated schedule. Clint, what do you think about this uh, this condensed Big Ten schedule that, that has been released? Um, just in terms of the schedule, I think it's the best of a bad situation. You know, I, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't kind of talk about the, the Big Ten postponing the season to the spring and then reversing course and coming back, you know, you have to be able to change when there's new information. I understand that, but it kind of calls into question the, the decision process to postpone publicly six days after they announced the original schedule. So after that chaos and, and, and after that, uh, you know, uh, shaking, uh, shaking of our collective head, um, I think they came up with a, a a fine schedule, a composite schedule. It's basically the original uh, Big Ten schedule with one crossover game eliminated um, based on who they had uh, identified as your your protected crossover games. Um, So it was formulaic. Um, There's been a lot made about uh, who were the winners and losers, and that's, um, you know, that's going to change every every year you know um there's there's some schedules that shake up being easier or 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 tougher um i would imagine the the order of the games maybe had some uh uh maybe there was some decision making in in terms of what order they wanted the games i I mean it's clear they obviously put ohio state back to the back end of of michigan's schedule that's intentional um, and it was it was entertaining watching uh, watching the schedule come out and seeing Nebraska's first four games being against uh, Ohio State, then Wisconsin, small break against Northwestern, and then Penn State. So um, not only did Nebraska formulaically get the uh, get a tough tough draw with Ohio State and Penn State as their crossovers, but um, they've got the three toughest games on their schedule. Uh, in the first half of the season. So, you know, it is what it is. I think if you want to be, if you want to be the champion of the big 10, then you, you got to win big 10 games at home and on the road. And, uh, you know, you have to go play and win. So tough schedules and complaining about tough schedules is, is not something that I I'm ever going to get too wrapped up in. You know, it's going to be interesting because as you mentioned, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't, mentioned the absolute cluster of the Big Ten announcing that they're going to cancel the season, then they're going to move the season. Oh, no, wait, we're going to have a season again. And and one of the things I was surprised by is I thought that, you know, I had assumed that the Big Ten was, was in regular communication with the schools and the football coaches and the athletic directors, and I was shocked that there weren't more leaks about what was going to happen, right? And I thought, wow, they're really running a, a pretty tight ship. And, you know, in retrospect, it turns out that, uh, you know, the the uh, the Big Ten commissioner was kind of off on an island there. And, you know, we'll have plenty of time to uh, 
to, as we learn more about that as the season goes along and, and after the season to talk about that, I seriously question uh, what his future is going to be just because I think that the uh, the Big Ten really made a, a mess of, of where they are in this. And um, listen, I desperately hope we're going to see Big Ten football. I hope we're not going to have a, a rash of games canceled or rescheduled, but um, there's a lot on the line for the Big Ten right now. Um, for them to say that it was so important they needed to cancel the season and then move the season to the spring and then seemingly bow to pressure from alumni and and from some schools and even from the White House, you know, you know you're in trouble when uh, when uh, Donald Trump is beating you up, right? But you know, so this leads me to your to your mentioning of Iowa, you know, uh, I'm sorry, of Nebraska and Iowa who were, the schools who allegedly were whining the most about the schedule being canceled, well, boy, Nebraska sure got a payback, eh? Here, you want to play football? Here's your schedule. And, you know, I, I think you made a great point, Clint. You know, on one hand, all of the schools in the Big Ten are not going to be able to pad their schedules with three or four non-conference games, right? You're not going to be able to say, hey, we had a successful season, we won eight or nine games, and have those – you know, usually two or three cupcake games and, you know, perhaps one challenging non-conference game. So I think, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Nebraska. Hey, if you want to if you want to be competitive, if you want to play with the big boys, if you want to announce that you're back as a conference power, well, uh, you have a good chance the first week. And uh, realistically, their, their season could be over after two weeks if they start out 0-2. I mean, that's kind of the interesting thing about this composite schedule is there's no time to, to make up from a, from, you know, if you slump, you know, if you had those uh, non-conference games, you know, to, to start out the season, you know, it, it's not unusual to see teams and, and specifically Michigan to start off slowly and, and kind of, you know, shake off the cobwebs and, and kind of find their, find their gear. Right. Well, you don't have that luxury. And, you know, you know, when you look at Michigan's schedule, you know, they they got Minnesota, which, you know, I would say is a resurgent Minnesota. And you have them on the road, which is a place that Michigan has struggled. So, I, you know, my big thing when I looked at the schedule is, you know, for Michigan, wow, you got the Gophers who are looking to, to show that they're back. And you're going to be heading on the road, which which is a place, again, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Michigan is a different team away from the big house. Yeah, that's that's very true. And we had a conversation, uh, a couple conversations back in the spring and early summer when when the se- the off season was clearly going to be very unique because of uh, COVID. And if you remember, we said it's going to be the teams and the coaching staffs that can adapt and still do a great job of teaching and keeping their players engaged and, and motivated and, and keeping the players and some player leadership um, is going to rise to the top where, where those guys that can continue to, uh, to work out to the best of their ability based on what they had available to them. Um, the teams that do that the best are the ones that are that are most likely to start out on, on the right foot. And, and here we are. And, and that's I would say that's absolutely true. You know, not only um, with what we said then about getting off to a fast start, but also have you been able to teach 
all you know 100 plus guys on your roster to be uh, to be realistic options as players because we know depth is going to be an issue um the the big 10 protocol of 21 days mandatory of of shutdown if you have a positive test um that could happen it could happen to anybody to any team so so depth is going to be uh, um, a significant factor so not only is it about coaching the ones and a lot of good on good and, and the stuff that we a lot of the platitudes that we hear of during football season but now the challenge for all staffs and the competitive edge hopefully for for michigan staff is teaching um remotely through that that very unique off season and now that they're back to hitting uh, in practice starting this week transitioning staying healthy uh as much as possible but but trying to really transition as the rubber meets the road and and they're essentially in fall camp now so um i i, I think jim harbaugh's approach and everything that we've heard coming from the coaching staff in, in zoom interviews or, or newspaper articles um i like uh the focus and the where the where the conversations have been it, it's been a lot about um embracing the opportunity to to use the extra time of chalk talk and teaching concepts to to players all the way down through your roster and, and that they've identified that both depth and and a quick start and mistake free or, or mistake free is probably not not the right expectation but the fewest number of mistakes early in the season um those are the teams that are going to get off to the best start so um i i think that Michigan has the right approach from, from what we can tell. I, I'm, I'm optimistic for that. And, uh, you know, we'll see the, the other, the last point that I had on the condensed schedule is it, it's still interesting to me that they started, um, in, in October, October 24th, so late, uh, they basically pushed it back as far as they could eliminated by weeks and said, this is how we can get a full schedule in, still play the championship game and have a reasonable chance for the, big 10 champ to get into the playoff um that's interesting because it still seems like they're kind of playing wait and see with the early nfl season and and the other power five conferences that are still playing they're kind of letting these other football organizations come back full scale and 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 maybe see what uh, issues arise around covid and around health um with a unique off season and maybe they can take some of those lessons learned from those other, other organizations and then apply them uh, in the coming weeks before they actually get kicked off on the 24th. So I think um, again, the condensed schedule was the, the best of a bad situation. Uh, the bad situation, the, the big 10 really put themselves in with a, the way they mismanaged the process from the start, but we are where we are. And I think Michigan's in a good spot and we'll know, I think right away, with a tough road test at Minnesota, we'll know who who Michigan's going to be this year and whether uh, we need to buckle in for a rough, bumpy ride or if it's going to be uh, uh, a season where they're competitive and, and right in the fight for the Big Ten East with Ohio State. So we'll, we'll know right away. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that the Big Ten was uh, perhaps waiting to see what happened with the NFL. So it's interesting how that narrative has changed in the last week. A week ago, I was hearing from national pundits, oh, look, look what the NFL has done. You know, here's the difference between, um, you know, 
players and organizations where it's their main livelihood. They're doing everything they can and look how easily the season has gone. And then just in the last week, um, you know, we've had, uh, you know, games delayed and the recent announcement of, of Cam Newton being diagnosed with COVID. So what's interesting for me about the, the, this condensed schedule is that if any one team basically goes down, it can have huge ramifications across the entire schedule, right? So, you know, for example, let's look at, you know, Rutgers, okay? I think we can agree Rutgers is not going to challenge for either, you know, either the Big Ten or their division, right? But, you know, if Rutgers does, goes down, what does that give Ohio State one less game, depending on if Rutgers goes down? Um, you know, depending on, and again, I'm not to pick, well, I'm going to pick on Rutgers just as an example, right? You know, what happens? Do you give one of the uh, contenders one less game? Do you, Like you said, you really have nowhere to push that game off. Um, the other interesting thing about the schedule is, you know, I was hearing from media types that the networks were pushing for Michigan and Ohio State to be moved up in the schedule. Because, you know, the thought being they wanted that game to happen no matter what. Okay, they wanted the they wanted to be able to sell the game. You know, if there was some kind of abbreviation of the of the schedule or the season, if if the season were to be shut down, they did not want to lose that game. And I think you could make a you know similar arguments against um, you know uh, Penn State and Ohio State, right? That game, you know, is, is moved up. Well, not moved up, but it happens earlier in the season. So it's just interesting when I when I look at the composite schedule, it does not take a lot, you know, and, and I'll just pick on Rutgers and Maryland because, you know, they're the they're the new guys to the conference. If either of those teams go down, depending when they go down, even though they're not considered to be, you know, big time contenders, it could have drastic ramifications to, to the schedule. So you know, I, I think you make a good point that the Big Ten is looking at what the other uh, sports leagues are doing, but you have to really hold your breath and cross your fingers once this schedule gets going because if you want to put a legitimate team into the uh, into the playoff, you need to play as many games as you can. And, well, okay, here's an example. What if Ohio State goes down, right? What if Penn State goes down? What if Michigan goes down? Um you know, as much as they can try to keep these players in the bubble, uh, I, you know, and, and I think my argument the whole time when Michigan and, and Jim Harbaugh were proclaiming how well they were doing with COVID is, listen, it's one thing to do that in the quote-unquote offseason. Once players get on campus, I think it's a whole different story. I hope they do the, I, you know, I hope it goes well. Really, I want to see a full season, but the true test is is happening now, and you know, I can tell you from uh, the people I know on campus, uh, you know, and we can see what's happening down at Notre Dame right now. We can see what's happening at Michigan State. It's a lot dicier and a lot difficult, much more difficult to keep your team apart and healthy when you start mixing, you know, uh, thousands of, of regular students, you know, in, into the mix. So we'll see how that goes. Again, hoping for the best. Want to see it. Um so the other interesting thing that I think about that what they've done to the schedule is they've added this Big Ten Champions Week, right? 
where the week of the Big Ten championship game, the number two team from one division will play the another two the number two team from the other division, three playing three, four four versus four. That could be interesting. Um, and again, I just hope we we get to the point where where that's going to happen. Now, Clint, I, I will tell you, um, you know, when when the Big Ten wasn't going to play this fall and they had moved to next spring, one of the things I hope that was going to set up moving forward, you know, in subsequent years, was for us to see actual um, games during the spring, you know, for that to keep going on. So I, I'm I'm somewhat disappointed. So I I was hoping that that was going to be a possibility, but again. We got our, we have our season here, and uh, you know, Rich, Michigan's going to need to run the gauntlet, right? They got, they got Minnesota, you know, four games in. They got Wisconsin. Right after that, they got Penn State, and they end with Ohio State. And uh, you know, it's again, it's it's going to be eight games, and again, any any little trip uh, you might be able to come back from, but you know, I, I think two losses, and you're pretty much done. So anybody who, you know, you look at the Michigan schedule, if they struggle at, at, in Minnesota and, and have a hard time against Wisconsin, it could be it could be a real rough year with Penn, you know, looking down the, the barrel of Penn State and Ohio State still coming up. So definitely a lot to see. Um, one of the big news uh, coming out of camp is that Joe Milton is the presumptive starter. You and I have talked a lot about his potential in what we've seen in past years. What do you think about the news of Dylan McCaffrey uh, transferring and losing the quarterback battle and Joe Milton being the, the de facto starter at this point? Uh, I think, I think the, the narrative of McCaffrey losing the quarterback battle is an assumption um, that's, that's made by, by some folks from the outside. I haven't heard it from, from, you know, Harbaugh or anybody with, with direct knowledge, Gaddis or, or uh, Ben McDaniel. So um, there, there's one piece of that with, with McCaffrey's pretty serious concussion last year and, and long-term effects and, and uh, medical uh, requirements. We, you know, we'll see where he lands and how close to home he gets. Um, but I think that there's there's a lot of, uh, of his own medical history that, that may also be playing into that. Um, not to diminish whether or not Joe Milton won the job. I, I think it's he's certainly capable of, of winning the competition, and it may have been what happened. But I, I personally, um, I, I don't think that uh, Joe Milton emerging as the starter and being announced early can only mean that he won the competition outright. Um, I think that there are other things uh, at play uh, with with Dylan transferring. So. Uh, with that said, I, I am very excited uh, for the Joe Milton era. I think um, you and I in the press box have had a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations about what I think about his arm talent. There was that that touchdown throw to Giles Jackson last year against Rutgers, where you know I I looked at that that film uh, probably 30 or 40 different times to try to try to really evaluate that that throw. Um, because he threw it from the 30-yard line on the far hash all the way to the near sideline. It's a, I think uh, I, I put it on Twitter, and, and we talked about it, you know with some different folks just 
with the Pythagorean theorem, it was like 52 yards and it was 52 yard throw is not a big deal, but he didn't step into it, launch it at a 45 degree angle, like a deep throw that looked like a crossing route when he threw it, you know, he, he threw it on a, a, a direct line and, and it, it traveled 52 yards in the air, like the flick of his wrist. So, um, we know that the strength of his arm, uh, was brought up by Josh Gaddis and his last, uh, Zoom call with the media um, to the point where they're, you know, telling the receivers, you're never outside of, of the zone. You keep running. You know, if a play breaks down, go find some space because, you know, Joe Milton can hit every single spot on the field. And that's what I remember talking to you about the most is that with his talent, regardless of, of where you're at on the field and, and what's going on and what the defense gives you, um, there's not a ceiling on, on where you can attack. So as long as you can protect him or, or get him into into space um, so that he can he can have a clear throwing lane, he can attack everywhere on the field. Uh, um, so it, it actually opens up some some unique or, or creative options for for Josh Gaddis as a play caller. So I think that's uh, that's exciting. I am very encouraged by every uh, every article and interview that I've heard from others talking about Joe Milton. They start out with his his attitude and his leadership capabilities. Uh, I did hear one, um, you know, some speculation that uh, perhaps Jalen Mayfield returned because uh, Joe Milton was named the starter and, and that they were close. So there's a lot of a positive, um, a lot of positive uh, energy around this this change at quarterback uh it's something that i'm excited for i'm excited for it from from he brings to uh to the position and uh i i really i really think that he has an opportunity to be to be very special now with all of that said um he and dylan mccaffrey both were were statistically pretty inaccurate in the times that they were at the quarterback position in live games. Um, McCaffrey obviously was in uh, earlier in the game as the second stringer for the last two years. And uh, Joe Milton was in mop-up duty. Neither one of them was, was, you know, uh, razor sharp, I would say, but um, you know, that, that doesn't mean that they're neither one of those guys has hit their ceiling. I was excited for either of them to, to develop in their, third and fourth years under, uh, you know, in the program. So I think, uh, there's, there's really a great opportunity and, and I think it's on Josh Gaddis specifically to put Joe into spots where, where he can be successful and build some momentum. And this, uh, this offense can find some rhythm early on in the season. And then, uh, as the playbook unfolds, uh, you could really see, some some really amazing uh, wow plays about what that guy can do and uh, what he can do with the speed that Michigan has at receiver. Well, one of the things I'm hoping that we're going to see is with this extended camp, right? And I think that's what we'd call that. You know, the Michigan coaches and Michigan players have all said that even when it appeared that the season was going to be canceled, they kept practicing, they kept working, they kept grinding. And I'm hoping that this extended camp is going to give Milton and the offense and Josh Gaddis a time, you know, some extra time to kind of find their gear. Um, what's interesting is 
not only has Josh Gaddis said some really great things about Joe Milton, which you'd expect, and again, we're presuming that Milton is the starter, but what surprised me was actually this week Don Brown talked about him. And it's interesting because, um, you know, Don Brown, you know, said point blank. He's like, listen, I have not, he, he has the strongest arm that I've ever seen on a young guy, right? And I may have mangled a little bit, but that was that was his intent. That was his meeting. And he said the other thing that he said was that even though he doesn't coach Milton directly, Milton will come into his office and ask him about coverages, ask him about what defenses are trying to do, how they're trying to um, basically defend, you know, the quarterback position and, and attend and, and attack offenses and defend offenses. And it's just interesting that um, – the things that I'm picking up from Milton, um, not only as a team leader, but just as a, you know, really a cerebral guy where he's really, you know, concerning himself with all aspects of the game. Now, we got to see how it plays on the field, right? I mean, it all comes down to that. But it's interesting to me that, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I always judge press conferences by what you expect to hear, right? Listen, I expect to hear offensive players talk about their quarterback. I expect to hear Josh Gaddis, you know, as offensive coordinator, talk about his quarterback. I don't expect the def- I don't expect the defensive coordinator to kind of come out of the blue and talk about him, right? Um, and and that's why you know I kind of take note. You know, Don Don Brown's been around a long time. He's seen a lot of good quarterbacks. Uh, he's been shredded by a lot of good quarterbacks, unfortunately, in big games. So to hear him, you know, basically praise what he sees from Milton, I, I, I take a lot from that. And again, we're, we're going to need to see a lot. You know, I think that's the, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Mayfield coming back. You know, I, I still hold out hope. I really wish Nico was going to be back, Nico Collins. I think that would be a, a huge target for whoever's going to play quarterback. And again, presumptively, presumptively Joe Milton. The concern I have um, when I look at our wide receiver core is I don't see a lot of size with Tariq Black leaving last year and Nico Collins, uh, you know, not coming back. It would be really nice to have some length and some height to throw at. Um, You know, we have that at the tight end position, but, uh, you know, with Ronnie Bell being, you know, kind of the the tallest receiver right now, you know, I, I, I think that's going to be a, a big challenge for for a new quarterback to, to find that target. So, um, again, still holding out hope that Nico somehow, uh, you know, finds a way back to the team but can understand, you know, if, if he doesn't, he's got to make the best decision for him. But, you know, that's one thing that I keep tracking as we get closer to the season. And, uh, you know, the they were very clear that um, there were, there were no announcements about Nico coming back that you know he hadn't there was no announcement about him getting a waiver to return so it appears that he's not coming back but that's just one thought I have when we're talking about Milton is you know the uh universally they talk about the strength of his arm and you know when I think about that is you know how accurate can you be and you know it's great to be able to 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 rocket you know balls downfield but you know if you can't do it accurately, you're going to want guys who have a little bit of length, a little bit of reach to be able to pull balls in. And, and that's one current concern I have with the wide receiver core right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think we, 
it's it's pretty pretty clear that we'd love to have Nico Collins back. I think he was really poised um, to sneak up on the on the national football community. You know that he he was underrated just because he was underutilized, uh, frankly, in, in the last couple seasons. The guy was so efficient when the ball went in the air. Um, you know, 50-50 balls were were not 50-50. You know, he was he had a decisive advantage when the ball was in the air. So your your point about uh, not having him is is you know is a big one for sure. There was there is um, the second year receiver Cornelius Johnson's got a little bit more height than um, than the other guys. You know, Ronnie Bell's probably about six foot. I think Cornelius Johnson's listed. 62 or 63 so he's got a, a little bit of that that range that you're looking for on the outside but your your point is still still very valid and um, it is going to be interesting to see how they use it I think um, another football cliche that applies here is that the uh, quarterback's best friend could be a, a solid running game um, we did hear some positive news about uh, some acknowledgement um, that Zach Charbonnet was was a little bit banged up still last year and that maybe he wasn't at 100 percent even early in the season um, and that he's had the opportunity to to clean up his issues with his knee and, and is looking uh, a step quicker and, and also has had another year in the weight room a little bit more stout um, Blake Corum true freshman coming in it's going to be interesting to see um, how they utilize his skill set he's uh he's kind of like uh Clyde Edwards Hilaire that's um, from LSU that just went to Kansas City or, or a little bit like J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. Short, uh, very stocky guy. Um, Karan Higdon style kind of runner between the tackles. Um, so it would be interesting to see what kind of depth he provides and, and if they're going to use him as a special weapon. And then you've got the, um, you know, Hassan Haskins was, was the most reliable runner uh, through the middle of the season last year. He's back and, and healthy, and of course the return of Chris Evans. So um, the the offensive line coming together and, and transitioning uh, in the run game and providing um, a little bit of room for that that running back room, I think is going to be Joe Milton's best friend. I, I was encouraged again. I really liked uh, one of the answers that that Josh Gaddis gave to to the media about what his three um, points of emphasis were for the offseason. Number one, you know, the fumble problem from early last year uh, was 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 almost scarring to think back on those early games and, and how the running backs just couldn't hold on to the football. You know, at least through the middle of the season, apparently I had blocked that out pretty effectively. And, and to remember just how bad it was um, getting the quarterback hit on, on a lot of plays and, and running backs dropping the football that's a, a big opportunity for improvement, but also <clears throat> he mentioned explosiveness from the running backs, explosiveness in the running game, right? Long, long runs. So when the line is blocking well enough that you can get through the first level untouched, you get to the linebackers and, and DBs untouched, you know, those running backs have to start, start making a guy miss and, and getting chunk plays on the ground. Um, and, and if we see that early on in the season, that will be a really, really great sign. Uh, as much as we expected the uh, the speed and space, you know, hashtag speed and space to come in and create explosive plays. Um, when I, when you and I ran the numbers and, and talked about them 
the 2019 offense was pretty much the same statistically as the 2018 offense in terms of explosiveness, either yards per play or um, in EPP. So that's uh, that's not not what we expected, but I, I do believe that the chunk plays in the run game. Um, I'm glad to hear that that was a point of emphasis, uh, even with a, a new starting offensive line. But I'm actually encouraged to hear that, um, you know, some of the guys that are probably going to step onto that first team O-line are some of the guys that have been in the system uh, with Ed Warner from, from the start. You know, I'm glad that we've got some talented young guys, but to hear that Chuck Filiaga and Andrew Stuber and some of those older guys are, are stepping into uh, active roles, um, the starters at center. Um, that's encouraging to me because I think that uh, there's a certain floor that that sets that I think they're going to be able to start off um, on a strong foot in terms of the running game and especially in terms of explosive plays uh, in the running game. One of the things I was impressed by was Chris Evans uh, did a, a media meet via Zoom, and it was interesting to hear he talked about what he did last season, right, about how he kept himself occupied, you know, working himself back. And, you know, he worked as an assistant coach with a high school team. He delivered food. He put up drywall. And you could just really sense that, he's really grateful to have the opportunity to come back that, you know, he talked about, you know, seeing games on TV while he was out, you know, picking up food to deliver for people, you know, and, and Clint, you were on campus. Okay. I was on campus, you know, all, seems like a million years ago as a student, but you can imagine the fall for somebody to go from being a starter in Michigan stadium to not being on the team, not being on the sideline, and, you know, basically working, you know, I always joke, Ann Arbor is a ghost town during football games, right? Everybody's at the stadium. If you need to run errands, you know, around town, my wife would say, you know, it's perfect time to do it during the game. You don't want to get caught in the rush before or after. But I can imagine, you know, uh, a guy who used to start Michigan Stadium delivering food to people, watching games, um, you know, working with players at the high school level and, and seeing the difference between, you know, and, and I, you know, you know, you've worked extensively with high school players, you know, I've uh, helped out at the high school level to, 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 uh, to be there and compare it to, you know, Hey, you, you could be, you should be at Michigan stadium right now. I think definitely impressed upon him to, to make everything he can of, of this season. And, you know, He's always, he was always one of my favorite players, you know, talking to him. Um, I was disappointed that he was unable to play last year, and I'm glad that he's worked his way back to have that opportunity, and I'm really excited to see what he brings in. And honestly, when this season got delayed, you know, you really you feel for Stuber, and I really felt for Evans because, you know, they, they, they were out last season for different reasons, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, they're just itching to get back. So yeah. to see them have this, you know, this reboot opportunity, I'm sure means a lot to them. Yeah, absolutely. It, very well said. Um, you know, good for good for Chris Evans um, to, to bounce back. You know, you, nobody nobody should be defined by, uh, you know, the, the 
the mistakes that they've made or the biggest mistakes that they've made, especially recently. And uh, good for him uh, on seizing an opportunity to, to redeem himself and, and get back. And, and um, it would have been awfully easy, as Josh Gaddis mentioned, it would have been awfully easy for him to, to pack it in and say, well, I guess time to time to go figure out what's next. He uh, he set a goal, you know, and, and used that year to work towards it and uh, did everything that was in his power to, to earn his way back and, and accomplish that. So um, that's the first positive step in the right direction after a, after a significant setback. So good for him. You know, that's kind of, you know, that that's what a lot of people uh, need to learn in their uh, late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, you know late thirties, early forties, you know, a lot of people never learn that lesson. So, uh, good for him. And, uh, I hope that he's rewarded with, uh, with a great football season because he, uh, he deserves it, um, from that standpoint. And obviously it would be, uh, he's, a he's really can be, a an explosive weapon for, for the offense. You know, and I hope we get a great big 10 football season because, after all the drama that, that we as fans have gone through and we as a nation have gone through, we really deserve it. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, there, I can go back and forth and, and, you know, on whether they should be playing football. I'm glad that they are playing football. I hope that they stay healthy. I hope that, that everybody has a great season. I hope they get through it because it's really great to have this distraction um, you know, from, from all the drama that we're dealing with, uh, with COVID and everything else. And all I can say is I love Michigan football. I'm glad to see the players back. I hope that, it, that everybody stays healthy. And I, I tell you, this would be, you know, there's a lot of people counting Michigan out this year and, you know, you and I as close observers of the team can give a dozen reasons why Michigan may not win the Big Ten title. But what I would say about this reboot is I think the deck is completely shuffled for everybody. I think that, yes, one or two, uh, you know, stumbles out of the gate and your season is is pretty much done, but you can say that for any team, okay? Um, you can say that for Ohio State. You can say that for Penn State. So, um, as you mentioned, the team that is going to be successful is the team that can stay on target and stay focused. And one of the things that Jim Harbaugh has, has preached, you know, with these off season trips and the work that the players put in is that his team is focused and they are, they are on task. He was as steady as the Northern star. He wanted a football season. He pushed for a football season and he did more than just hope for it. He prepared his team to take all the steps they needed to do to make it possible. So who knows, Clint? Maybe that kind of dedication, that kind of focus is going to translate itself to an amazing year. I would love to see it. I think you would love to see it. Um, you know, what, what's your overall thought as you look at this, this reboot season for Michigan moving forward? I, I share, I share your optimism for sure. I, I, I am very encouraged that Harbaugh has kind of, uh, adopted the, the mantra of, of stay positive and test negative. I think acknowledging the unique challenge that the, that the coronavirus presents to his, to himself, his family, 
his staff, his kids, the players, the whole community. I think acknowledging that and, and, and putting it into the frame of a challenge to be, to be overcome is, is correct. And I think some other organizations, some other football teams and, and some other conferences, some other leagues, right. Um, some other people typically are, are, are burying their head and trying to ignore it. So to acknowledge it and, and put it a, a, as a, uh, kind of frame it as an opponent. I, I like that, that he's embracing that. And I think it's important to, uh, to keeping his, his guys, his program focused, as you were just saying. So uh, that, that makes me feel like right away you, you have a competitive advantage against anybody that is not doing that it, to, in my mind, the psychologically and from a preparation standpoint and a depth standpoint, I think they have an edge, an increased edge over over a significant number of teams that, that aren't taking it that seriously. But overall, uh, again, I said, I think we'll know a lot about what this team is um, from the Minnesota game. Uh, coming home, getting the rivalry game in week two against Michigan State um, is great to see kind of uh, how they how they handle uh, emotional highs, even whether they're coming off a win or coming off a loss. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, can handle the uh, the emotional roller coaster of a season. Um, so a test for some of the the player leadership, and then they go back on the road against a, uh, an Indiana team that has caused problems for Michigan for decades and just has never broken through. So you know that they're they're going to be hungry, and then Wisconsin after that. So I to me, we're going to know right away all of the major questions that we have about this team. We're going to get answers to. Um, so to, to kind of project right now, I think, I think Michigan should win at Minnesota. I don't think, um, that the gap is, is very large between Michigan and Minnesota playing it on the road, uh, would have given me a lot more pause, um, in the past. Michigan typically starts slow early in the season and starts slow in road games, but, um, it's not a typical road atmosphere anymore. You know, I think the big 10, has, has standardized for everybody. It's going to be limited to basically family and, and, and friends of the program in the stand. So you're not playing in front of a packed, you know, we hate Michigan kind of crowd that, that the Wolverines typically face. So um, some of that home field advantage, I think is kind of nullified. Um, so I expect them to win that game, but it's, it's not, I don't expect it to be a blowout. And then I think, Obviously, uh, losing Ambry Thomas and and Minnesota gaining, regaining uh, Rashad Bateman, uh, is a big um, mitigating factor to that to that optimism. So, um, I still think Michigan should win. If I thought it was going to be by about a touchdown, you know that that swing with Ambry Thomas out and Rashad Bateman in, is it back to being you know a, a field goal either way maybe. Uh, but, but I expect them to win that game, and I think they're going to come home and really steamroll um, the Spartans that are having a having a rough uh, transition into the Mel Tucker era. You know, a lot of it through no fault of their own, and certainly no fault of Mel Tucker. So um, that's just a, a shell of the program that um, that was so formidable under under D'Antonio. So if if you beat Minnesota on the road, come home, fix some things against a bad Michigan State team. Um, then I think you're in a good spot to uh, to to start off the season on the right foot, and then 
first major, major test uh, against Wisconsin in week four. And we'll see from there. Um, it's again, I think the team that stays the healthiest, which has a, a, a component of luck to it and the team that utilizes their depth and practices in a way to prepare themselves to protect their depth, both with uh, kind of hardening the, you know, building the calluses as Harbaugh likes to say, but also not, not beating your guys up and, and grinding them down uh, too much. So it's a really fine line. And I think the programs that, that do that the best are going to have a real advantage as, uh, as November starts, you know, starts turning colder and we get close to December and, and the games are really, really important. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the umgoblue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.